Welcome to the Cancer Youth Thrivers podcast. My name is Andrea Wilson-Woods, and I'm the CEO and co-founder of Cancer U. Join me each week as I interview cancer patients, caregivers, survivors, and providers about their cancer journeys. You're listening to Cancer Youth Thrivers, where real people share true stories. Anna Leonarda is a nine-year breast cancer survivor who struggled with endometriosis, painful intercourse, and lack of libido for many years. Approximately eight years after diagnosis, she got divorced. Traditional dating apps didn't cater to people with sexual limitations, so she created a dating app for individuals with sexual dysfunction and limitations. And we're going to learn more about that app, but just know it's entwinedating.com. That's E is an egg, N is a Nancy, T is in Tom, W-I-N-E dating.com. And we'll be sure to put a link to that. But first, we're going to have Anna share her story. Thank you so much for coming on. Thank you, Andrea, for having me. I really appreciate it. I'm looking forward to this. Yeah, me too. And before I hit record, I told you that I'm going to introduce you to a friend of mine because you look like twins. It's I, I almost thought it was her, actually. That's awesome. Yeah. You. <laughs> I love to meet my twin. <laughs> um, and she's a breast cancer survivor. All right. So Anna, take us back. How did you get diagnosed? Were there any warning signs or symptoms? When I was 36 years old, I actually just lost a lot of weight. I was at the perfect weight and everything. And then I thought, finally, I look great. I feel great. And then I was in the shower and I found a breast lump. And I thought, well, I'm 36, and my gynecologist told me, you should be getting a mammogram, a baseline mammogram, you're 35. And I was like, oh, no, no, I'm only 35. I was just about to turn 36. And so then when I found that lump, I'm like, oh, well, I didn't get the mammogram yet. And well, probably nothing. My my cousin had breast cancer, and that's all the family history we have of any kind of cancer that I'm aware of. So I was like, eh, whatever. I think I'm Okay. So I made an appointment for the gynecologist the next day um, and she confirmed it was there and we were both pretty confident. It's like, yeah, it's probably, it's probably nothing, you know? And I worked at the time I worked in pathology in the pathology department as a secretary. I'm thinking, ah, no, I mean, people are all older, you know, it's would never be me kind of thing. I already gave the heads up to the, the pathologist. I'm like, Hey, I'm getting a biopsy done. I'm sure it's nothing, you know? So it ended up coming back as cancer and I went to a, a breast surgeon and he's like, no, you know, let's just do a lumpectomy. That's that's all you're probably going to need. And then I realized it was hormone positive breast cancer. It was also something called HER2 new positive. So I needed to have a year of Herceptin. It was a, considered an aggressive type of cancer. So when I got the diagnosis, I was just like, oh, uh, I was in shock. I was actually diagnosed on my mom's 60th birthday. So. Oh. And I knew something was up. At first, I was like, "I'll calm about it," but then they like lost my my specimen. Like, well, we can't find the specimen. I'm like, "What do you mean you can't find the specimen?" <laughs> so, so when they ended up finding it, and I could tell they didn't want to tell me the diagnosis. They wanted my breast surgeon to tell me the diagnosis. So they were like kind of dancing around it. I'm like, "All right." I'm like, "No, you need to tell me the diagnosis." I'm like, I can't wait any longer. It was also like around the holidays. It was around Thanksgiving, and so I, I had an idea. I had it, but then I thought. I'm at my mom's house celebrating her 60th birthday. How am I going to tell her that I have cancer, you know? And I still wasn't 100% sure, but then 
the, my pathologist friend called me and she's like, because it is cancer. And I was just like, what? When the breast surgeon was, he said, we'll just do a lumpectomy. And I said, well, what if there's something else there that we're missing? Did you tell your mom? I Not there. I, I made up an excuse that I had to leave to help a friend that had a stranded car. It took me a while, but I called her on the phone and told her. And she's like, well, you were just here. You, what do you mean? You never had a biopsy. And I didn't want to tell her I had a biopsy because I knew she would freak out about it. And I didn't want anybody to be like, did you get the results yet? Did you get the results yet? Because I already was doing that in my head, you know? So I told her and, and it was, that was, that was pretty hard to tell her that my ex-husband did tell my kids. So that was kind of a relief for me. I just couldn't do it. And how old were your kids at the time? Or my daughter was just entering kindergarten. So she was five and uh, my son's on uh, was nine or 10. The way I see it, none of my family had cancer. So I think, well, does that mean I'm going to die? You know, and then, and I always had this fear that I'm like, I'm never going to make it past 40. I, I, you know, as a kid, I'm like, I don't think I want to live that long. So when I got diagnosed, I'm like, uh oh, now I'm in trouble. You know, this is, is this why I've been feeling this? And I'm very intuitive too. So when something like that, that feeling I used to have. And then when I got diagnosed, I was like, oh my gosh. So I had a, a one-sided mastectomy. So the first breast surgeon I went to, he said, I don't need an MRI. I need a lumpectomy. That's it. And I, so I went to another doctor because I've, since I worked at the hospital, I was able to find a doctor that was in network or associated with my hospital. And I said, what do I do with, uh, <laughs> I didn't know where to begin. You know, it's like all of a sudden I'm, I felt like I became a doctor. It was, it was a shock. So, so when I went to the, to the breast surgeon and I asked, she's like, I want to order an MRI. And I said, oh, okay. So she did. And she found another tumor. And she said, oh, well, we have to biopsy it. I'm like, no, 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 just take my, just do mastectomy. I don't want to do a lumpectomy. If there's another one, then there's going to be another one down the road. So she did the biopsy and it came back at cancer, which I pretty much was yeah. confident that there was positive. During the surgery, I was supposed to have a mastectomy, one-sided mastectomy, and she found a third tumor. It was going to be a nipple save, nipple saving, nipple sparing, sparing. So <laughs> save the nipples. Um, so they couldn't <laughs> save my nipples. She said there was another, a third tumor there. So I was happy that I did the mastectomy and I had the expanders put in, one expander put in, and then I wasn't healing at all. And I had a really bad uh, breast reconstruction surgeon. He was very confident, very cocky, just like, by the time you're, I'm done with you, your friends are going to be jealous of you. And I was like, he said that. Yeah. And he was, I'm like, oh, I don't think anybody's going to be jealous that I'm losing my breast, but thanks, you know. And of course you heard people say, oh, you get a free boob job. You're lucky. And I mean, I don't know if people just don't know what to say, you know, like, did you have chemotherapy? Did you have radiation? What were your options there? So after my mastectomy, then I started chemo. I did not need to have radiation and it did not reach my lymph nodes, which I was grateful for, of course. So I started chemo. I lost all my hair and, and the side effects weren't horrible, but one of the big side effects that I didn't realize, I guess, is that since my breast cancer was estrogen positive, the goal was to get rid of all my estrogen. So I already had problems with endometriosis, painful intercourse, lack of libido, and so when my oncologist said, by the way, this cancer is hormone fed, you're not going to, you're going to lose your libido. And I said, well, I don't even have a libido right now. <laughs> and he's like, well, it's going to get worse. So I was like, even before I got diagnosed with the breast cancer, I, so I had the endometriosis, I had painful intercourse, and then I developed vaginismus. 
And because I thought nothing will go internally anymore. I just couldn't have intercourse. So when I went to the doctor, I said, oh, I can't have it. Nothing can go inside of me, not even a tampon. And she's like, oh, you have vaginismus. It's when you're the opening of my vagina, the muscles start spasming. And it's basically, it was it was anticipating pain. Over time, if, if somebody would come up to you, the way the, the therapist, the pelvic floor therapist described it was, if somebody kept going up to you every time, and they punch you in the stomach, and every time you see them, they're gonna you're, they're gonna punch you in the stomach and cause pain. That's what's happening if anything approaches that area. And I thought, geez, I'm like that's there's therapy for that. So you can use dilators and slowly stretch the vaginal area out. But then I got diagnosed with the cancer, so I thought, well, what am I gonna use these dilators for if I'm gonna just have pain anyway, and it's not gonna be enjoyable? So, so I did give up on the dilator. So there's there's a cure for it. It's just I chose to stop using them because I'm tired of pain since I was sexually active. You know, it's like, why? It was was a shocking diagnosis. I never heard of vaginismus, but then I'll even join support groups on Facebook and there's like 17,000 women that have vaginismus. And a lot of them don't even know they had it. They just thought something was wrong with them. Like I thought it was normal to insert a tampon and and it's just supposed to hurt. You know, I just thought that's just normal. It's supposed to hurt having intercourse i guess that's just the way i am but there was something there that got probably got di- undiagnosed as well the vaginismus and it just got really bad to the point where i couldn't even have like a pelvic exam at the gynecologist's office so wow the way i describe it is my vagina broke so you get this diagnosis and now you know that you already didn't have a libido and now it's, it's gonna get worse right it's gonna get worse how long did you have chemo and what kind of impact did that have on your marriage? I had six rounds of chemotherapy. I had a one year of Herceptin, but the Herceptin was not, didn't seem like it had many side effects. My ex-husband was always there for me. He was always very patient with, with my issue because he's my one and only. I was with him since eighth grade. We were married for 20 years. So he kind of got used to it, you know, too. But, and I, I felt like I was very silent about my pain too, because I just didn't want to be that wife that just was always in pain about something. So when I got the cancer, he didn't push it. You know, he didn't force me or or anything to, uh, he knew that it was very uncomfortable for me as it is. And it was going to get worse. And the main goal was to get rid of my cancer. We weren't worried about my vaginismus anymore. You know, chemo wasn't as bad as I thought when you're watching TV and you're just like, wow, look at all these people. They're so sick and they're in bed and they can't move. And then I started realizing that everybody is affected differently by chemo. I even was getting fitted for a wig, and this lady at the American Cancer Society was um, she said, "Why are you so worried?" I said, "Well, I was I'm supposed to take Herceptin for a year, and I read online that I'm going to have nosebleeds, and and then my hair and I may not grow back because of it, and and you know, and she's like, "No, it's just that's that's the easy part. The Herceptin's an easy part. Trying to stay positive was hard because I did hear a lot of negative things, you know, like." you have breast cancer. Oh, that's okay. You know, you're going to be okay. My mom had breast cancer and uh, she lived a good 10 years. <laughs> and I'm like, I'm 36 years old. You don't tell oh, someone that, but I have Anna. 10 years left, you know? But let's go back to the asshole, plastic surgeon slash reconstruction. Yeah. And you said that was actually the hardest part. So tell us what happened. As far as why, why I wasn't healing and what he said. Yeah. 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 And well, I think he was very busy. Like my, I was referred to him by a couple of doctors that I work for 
and he's a great doctor, he's the best, but I think he was the best back in the day where he wasn't so busy. When I, after my mastectomy, I had like a dead patch of skin on my, on my chest where the incision was. And I would go to him. He's like, well, okay, it'll get better. Just put silvadine cream on it and come back to me in two weeks. So I kept doing that. And like a month later or two months later. Is, is this after the implant or? What was, time I, the, I never made it to the implant part. I okay. only got the expander. Right away, we knew this is not going to heal. And something went wrong during the surgery, I think. You know, he blamed it on the breast surgeon. She, she was too aggressive. She took too much skin. And I'm like, that's, that's not her fault. I heard also that he likes to have, he thinks he wants to make women bigger. So the bigger, the better. So I think he filled my expander too much and maybe it made my skin too tight. It wasn't able to heal. So I kept going back to him every two weeks and he kept saying, a little cocky, oh, okay, looks good. Okay, put the cream on and just come back in two weeks. And I was very nervous to get second opinions. And Why? I was like, it wasn't a hurry to, to get the cancer out of me. So I just went to a couple, the breast surgeon, well, two breast surgeons, I guess. I was, I was good that I had a second opinion that way. But, um, and then the plastic surgeon, well, he was so confident and I was in a hurry to get this done. You know, he kept telling me to come back every, every two weeks. And then I started thinking, okay, it's time for me to have a second opinion. It took a lot of guts for me to do it. And I was, I was very embarrassed of what, what my chest looked like because it was like yellow and brown, dead skin. And I don't, I don't know what was going on. I went to a, a different, I took a picture of it and I realized it wasn't changing. Like, I'm not going crazy. This is not changing. And I went to another plastic surgeon and he's like, this is never going to heal. I was like, oh, like, well, why does he keep telling me to come back in two weeks then? So that's when I went to him and I said, okay, this isn't going to heal. Apparently it's not healing. He goes, well, it looks better. I go, it doesn't look better. And when I said, I took a picture of it and I brought it to another, I, I went to another plastic surgeon and they said, this is not going to heal. And he, and he just like, I told you I would take care of this. We're going to take care of this and you got to trust me. You don't trust me. And you need to trust me on this. I'm like, we'll contact you and we're going to do debridement surgery where they just, they take out all the dead area and then hope that it heals again. They called me on the way home. He called the office, called me. Can you do surgery tomorrow? I'm like, whoa, somebody's in a hurry. All of a sudden somebody realizes that I woke up and said, you're not providing the right care for me. Yeah. And I should have known right away when he said my friends would be jealous. I was nervous. I was in a hurry. You know, I was like, hurry up, get this cancer out of me quick. I kept going to him. I had count, you know, I'm like, okay, maybe he's going to clean it up. Then we started filling the expander again and my skin started opening again. So I went to him. I said, okay, it's opening again. We're going to have the same situation here. What am I going to do? And he's like, you're going to have to have back flap surgery where they take skin and muscle, I think it was, or muscle from your back and they transfer it to your chest to create blood flow and blood supply. And then that's, that'll be your, your new breast. And I said, what about like the deep flap? Like there's a, a something. Yeah. That was what I thought you were going to say actually. Yeah. And he was a regular plastic surgeon and he goes, you have to go to a microsurgeon in order to have a deep flap where they, but that's the one where they take the fat from your stomach, right? Yes. And they don't yeah. take muscle because tram right. is where they take muscle, but this is where they don't take muscle. So I said, what about the deep flap? Am I a candidate for that? And uh, he goes, well, you're not a candidate for that. And I said, are you sure? Cause I don't want to get muscle from my back. Cause I already have back issues. And he goes, well, you're not an Olympic roar. You'll be fine. Cause you know what? You're a pro now. 
you're a pro at this, you'll fe- you'll be fine. Because I had a total of six surgeries. I just shook his hand, smiled, my fake smile. And I was like, oh, gosh, I'm like, I'm not going to this dude anymore. He's like, you're not a candidate. You don't have enough stomach fat. So you so finally broke up with him. I doctor. did break up with him, especially <laughs> after I called the nurse and I said, I said, can I have like before and after pictures or can I speak to the, the patients that have gone through this? Because I want to know, you know, what is the recovery? Because he doesn't really know. I mean, he's, a, he's not going through the surgery. People don't like to talk about these things with, with, um, we don't have any before pics, before and after pictures. That doesn't sound right still. Right. I found a microsurgeon who's amazing. He's like, because yeah, you're a candidate. And I was like, oh, so the first doctor, he didn't know how to do that procedure. So he didn't offer it to me. Instead of saying, hey, Anna, I don't know how to do this procedure, but you, it's worth it. Why don't you go check? He wants control of everything, I guess. So no did you end up doing that surgery? I did. I had the deep flap. It was like a 10 and a half hour surgery. I had to have a blood transfusion. It was great time, (laughs) but because it was worth it because what the doctor did was he took the expander out and he cleaned up all the mess that the doctor did on my chest. And with the deep flap, most of the time, majority of the time, you don't need implants. If I'm going to go through this 10 and a half hour surgery, then why don't you take my other side off? Because it's, I don't want to go through this again and then have no area to recreate a breast that makes it more symmetric. And uh, that's what we did. The difference in pain level was really interesting too. The first plastic surgeon, I, I know he put the expander underneath my mess, my pec muscle. I couldn't believe the amount of pain I was in. Nothing would help it. I was in the hospital. I developed a fever. I don't know what he did to me. So, so I had the deep flap. And when I called the doctor, I said, do you have any patients? Oh, absolutely. They'll talk to you here. We have this list of numbers. You call them. I'm like, oh my gosh, what if I didn't do this? What if I went with him? So I had everything done. I didn't have any chest pain, which was weird. I was like, no, my chest doesn't hurt after another mastectomy. And I mean, my abdomen was very tender, but it was uh, shocking. It was just amazing how they even do the procedure. I try not to Google it, but it was like, wow. You have new breasts from your own tissue now. Yes, yes. They're, they're, not, they're not even, but I don't really care anymore. At least I don't have to deal with implants and stuff. But I never looked in the mirror after my surgeries because I had all these scars because of multiple surgeries and procedures. And I ended up getting tattoos. Not that we're talking about tattoos right now, but I had... Um, that was the best thing I ever did for myself. Really? Uh, yeah. Tell the us confidence that I got. I feel like I want to walk around, you know, from going from not and being embarrassed to show a plastic surgeon my damaged breast to wanting to walk around topless, which I'll never do. Probably, I don't think I will ever do that. But um, so they they put flowers. Um, that, it was a talented uh, mastectomy tattoo artist, and he put uh, roses on my chest. And, and kind of concealed. He didn't want to say covered. He said, I'm not covering your scar. I'm just taking the eye away from, to make them look symmetric because one's higher than the other. So he did a tattoo where it looks like they're both even. It's just amazing oh, what he did. amazing. Yeah. I was even in a Chicago museum where uh, it was all the mastectomy patients in the background with uh, photos of their the reaction of when they see their tattoo for the first time. It was like, it's so powerful. Then I started talking to other women that were diagnosed and these women are going through so much as it is. And, you know, it's just, why would you do that? If you can't be compassionate, then you shouldn't be doing 
reconstruction for for breast cancer survivors. You told us your best moment, and now I yeah. kind of want to see the tattoos. <laughs> I, I will show moment. you after. Uh, <laughs> oh, oh, yay. I okay, will, good. yeah. So what was your worst moment? My worst moment was when I was in the hospital having my first one-sided mastectomy, and I developed that fever. They said, you need to get an x-ray done of your chest. And I had like 103 fever and uh, pain, like I said, was intense. I felt like an elephant was standing in my chest. And we needed to make sure you don't have pneumonia. So they made me, they made me walk over to, uh, or they wheelchaired me to the x-ray room, which I don't know, like, why can't you bring it to my bed? I thought they'd do it in the bed, right? I had to stand up and the guy couldn't do the x-ray because I had all these tubes, the tubes in me. So I had to take off my gown, stand up in front of the x-ray machine with, <sighs> with nothing on. Oh, I was so angry. I'm like, what? in the heck I said it was a guy too so I I didn't even look at my chest yet at the time and it was like I know it was bruised but I didn't want to look anymore and it, you know whatever and then the other one was you know sagging and you know so it was like it was multiple embarrassing moments and for whatever reason they couldn't have the the gown on so I sat there holding my the drain yeah. and I'm sitting there while he's taking pictures of me and and like saying like okay don't move don't breathe I'm like I can't even <laughs> I was, it was just so humiliated and so embarrassed and yeah, that was, that was rough. So I ended up messaging the director there and I said, listen, I said, this was horrible. I said, I, you know, I was, went through a traumatic surgery and then you had me stand there naked. Yeah. So it was good for you for saying something. I mean, yeah, it I'm really, hoping it helps somebody else. You know, you may have changed the way they do things right in that hospital you may have yeah, you may have really so. helped what is the one thing anna you wish you had known at the very very beginning of your cancer journey from that first moment get a second opinion amen do not worry about the doctor's feelings because some of them don't even care about yours i i always tell patients and their families that when you tell your current doctor you're getting a second opinion and you're going to need copies of all your medical records and et cetera, if they get defensive, then run, just yep. run because they shouldn't get defensive because all of them would do the same thing. Mm -hmm. They would tell their families to do the same thing. Excellent advice. How about if you could only do one thing to improve healthcare in the U S what would it be and why? I would say that for people that are going through cancer treatment just to you know have their insurance pay for it but whatever the insurance doesn't pay for it pay for should just be written off can you give us an example well there shouldn't be somebody that can't have treatment because they can't afford it i got i was lucky since i worked at the hospital all of after my insurance paid everything they just adjusted everything off so i could have you know over a hundred thousand dollars my one surgery, the deep flap was over a hundred thousand dollars itself, wow. plus the chemotherapy and the year of her septin. And I'm sure it was probably close to a million, the total cost of everything. But that was, I was so grateful for that. They stopped doing that since then. But I think either you're a hospital worker or not, you should, they should help out somehow because it's not, it's not good that somebody will avoid going to the doctor because they're scared that they might have cancer and then they're not going to be able to afford it. So if they have that option, I think that would be pretty, pretty amazing. 
Are you ready for the Thriver Rapid Fire questions? I am. Uh, here we go. Beach, desert, or mountains? Beach. Beach Boys, Beatles, or Rolling Stones? Rolling Stones. I wouldn't have picked Rolling Stones for no. you. Interesting. What is one word that best describes you? Selfless. And what is your favorite song today? It is the, the song Zombie by Cranberries. Oh, okay. And that's interesting. And... That's my karaoke song. So. That's your... <laughs> Yeah, karaoke <laughs> a lot. Okay, that's that's <laughs> funny. I can't sing, so if yeah, it's not when I've done karaoke. It's been a while, but I only do rap when I karaoke. Oh, because that I would be awesome to see. <laughs> but I can rap. I, I don't rap. rap. What is your favorite meal? It's got to be Italian, so something with pasta. And who are your favorite people? My children. And what is your favorite quote? Everything happens for a reason, which I'll probably touch on that, why it's my favorite quote. So aside from Cancer U, what is one resource that you would recommend for cancer patients and caregivers? And I, I want you to tell us about the platform you created because I can only think of one other person ever who's done anything remotely similar. So tell us a little bit about it. Because of all the pain I had with, and then the vaginismus and then I got diagnosed with the breast cancer and then everything got worse. You know, I was married for 20 years. I got divorced two years ago. And I thought, who's going to want to be with me when I can't have intercourse? I said, how am I going to tell these guys that I about my limitation, my sexual dysfunction? And I thought, you know, I'm just going to stay single because no guy's going to understand that. Or, you know, if they say they do, they're going to end up cheating on me or something. So then I thought, no, this, this is not the answer. I said, I didn't go through breast cancer and all this other stuff to just give up and just let it control my life. And, and that's why my favorite phrase is everything happens for a reason. I feel like my vagina broke. I had endometriosis, vaginismus, cancer. I thought, what do men do that have sex or sexual dysfunction, like erectile dysfunction? It doesn't even have to be cancer related, by the way. I mean, it could be cardiac condition, PTSD, oh, yeah. anti-depression medication can cause it. So I thought, what do they do? Well, they're probably embarrassed too. I mean, I talked to my friends that would go on dates and they're just like, oh, this guy has ED and, you know, so I'm so sick of it that all these guys have ED and then they make up excuses that why they, they're having issues and they have prostate cancer history, whatever it is that they have. And I thought, well, they're alone and we're alone. Why don't we create an app that takes the sexual expectations out of dating? So right away, you know, that, that X, I mean, can you imagine the the embarrassment and the pressure and the stress and anxiety to, to have to be like, okay, I'm going to go on a date. Okay. I'm going to tell the guy that I can't have intercourse. When should I tell him? Should I tell him on the first date, second date, third date? Same with the guy. It's just like, that's just so much pressure. And, and Entwine takes that pressure off of, of dating because it just eliminates the sexual expectations. And you know, right away, the cards are on a table. If you're using this app, it means that intercourse is not a possibility. Does that eliminate all types of physical contact? It's up to the people when they meet, but maybe a breast cancer survivor will want their their, their chest touched. But um, the way I see it with intimacy, like I crave other forms of intimacy. I, I love kissing, cuddling, long conversations, 
whatever it is, uh, it's just, I can't have intercourse, but that doesn't mean that, you know, I, I don't want to be loved too. So, so it doesn't eliminate all forms of intimacy. It's just up to the people when they get together to know that they can talk about what their, their boundaries are. I, I know one other person that's doing something and it's remotely similar, but not really quite. So tell people where they can find it. Uh, the website is the app available both on um, you know Apple and Android. So tell us a little bit more. Okay. So if they go on www.entwinedating.com, they can go on, the, on there and hit get entwined now, which another thing too is it's a free app and it'll have premium features available optionally um, down the road. So if they go to the website entwinedating.com, they can sit, hit download now. And with Android, it'll go right to your Play Store for Got the it. Android users. And for Apple, iOS, they're a little strict right now with dating apps because there's so many out there. There's a lot of scams. So I haven't released it into Apple yet, but they can still use it on their Apple phone. Like I have an iPhone, so I, I, it's a progressive web app. So if they go to entwinedating.com and hit download now, it'll go to the website. And then you can download the little shortcut onto your home screen. And then once I establish more uh, clients or uh, users, then I can plead my case and say, this is a unique dating app. It's to help people. And I heard Apple's very, they really love helping people. So once I say this is how many people it's helped and um, then I can plead my case and then they'll probably allow me to uh, to be in the Apple Play Store. Social media is Facebook at Entwine Dating. Okay. Instagram is Entwine underscore dating. And then Twitter is at Entwine Dating. All right. So we will make sure to put all those in the workshop and show notes. So if you do sign up for it, please just be patient because I'm working night and day trying to get users. It's hard to get the word out about this because nobody wants to talk about taboo subjects. So I want you um, after this interview to email me and just bug me. So it's in my inbox mm -hmm. um, because that person I told you about, I think there's some synergy here. Like I said, you're, she's not really doing the same thing, but she's in the same area. She's helping people who survived cancer, men and women learn intimacy again and sort of redefine mm -hmm. intimacy again, but she's not doing an app. She doesn't have that tool. And so I think there could be some real synergy between the two of you. Great. Thank you so much for, for coming on and sharing your story and for talking about something most people don't want to talk about. You're welcome. I'm, I'm so happy you, was, you, you have me as a guest. I really appreciate it. Oh yeah, absolutely. Thank you for listening to the Cancer Youth Thrivers podcast. If you like our podcast, give us a five-star rating and review and tell your friends about us. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you're listening right now. If you want to share your cancer journey with the world and be a guest on our podcast, go to our website, cancer.university. That's cancer.university. And hit the contact button or click the contact link in the show notes. You've been listening to the Cancer Youth Thrivers podcast. Real people, true stories.